Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Wednesday, October 27th. We begin with a look at Tuesday's federal cabinet shuffle by the Liberal government. We get a breakdown of the key moves from Global News political reporter Amanda Connolly. Next, we look at the new national QR code program, which will be recognized as our COVID-19 vaccine passports. We discuss the security surrounding the code with a cybersecurity expert who says there might be some issues with the program, and that could mean our personal information is at risk. Still on the topic of cybersecurity, could high-tech hackers take aim at our critical infrastructure in Canada? And if so, what would be the fallout of such an attack? We discuss with a professor of systems and computer engineering from Carleton University. And finally, have you ever been the victim of a vehicle break-in? Sadly, I have. If so, it can be a real process to recover or replace your stolen goods and to get any damage fixed on the vehicle. So we get some tips on how to pick up the pieces following a theft from insurance specialist Tammy Truman of Truman Insurance. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's new cabinet has been sworn in. And this morning we are joined again by Global News political reporter Amanda Connolly to break down the makeup of the new cabinet. Good morning to you, Amanda. Good morning. Thanks for having me back. Thank you for taking the time. Well, uh, to quote uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, we have a team of familiar faces and new faces that are ready to put all their strengths, all their hard work towards delivering for Canadians in the coming years. That is the Prime Minister's words on this shakeup and on on this shuffle. I'm wondering what your words would be as far as the greatest takeaways. Well, I think what we're really seeing here is is the Prime Minister shaping up a cabinet with what appears to be the goal of getting things done. We've been hearing again that, that as the COVID-19 pandemic hopefully comes to comes to the, the kind of start of the end here, that there really is a focus, a look ahead on trying to take some of that energy and the speed at which measures were passed during the pandemic legislatively and applying that to different portfolios where we know the government has a lot of big ambitions. Think things like childcare, things like affordable housing. Things like the crisis and leadership at uh, the Department of National Defense and the Canadian Armed Forces. So certainly a lot of big files, a lot of big challenges on the government's uh, table right now. And this seems to be them trying to bring the people around that cabinet table to deal with the problems and hopefully fix them in a way that will stop some of the um, the, the the problems that the government is incurring as a result of not acting on these. Mm-hmm. Gender parity continues. And the prime minister yesterday saying this is a refreshed and reinvigorated team uh, and he's excited. Excited about what they're going to be able to accomplish. Would you say that the Ministry of Defense, that that is the biggest switch, perhaps, uh, with all the turmoil that the military has been going through and putting a woman in charge of that file? Absolutely, yes. I think that that, that really is the big standout uh, change here from the cabinet shuffle. Again, there had been calls for so many months now for the former defense minister, Harjit Sajjan, to step aside or be removed over his handling of the crisis. And really just a sense from all the folks in the industry that I've spent the last couple of weeks talking to that things were not getting done and the trust there had been broken irreparably, could not be replaced. They needed a new minister in that role who would really send a signal to the to, uh, survivors and victims and people who are working to try and effect change here that the government was serious about getting that done. And Anand, Anita Anand certainly is one of the two, one of the names that came up the most often from those folks uh, in my conversations, at least uh, for several weeks now with them saying that she she really would be a powerful signal that the government is is taking this seriously. The other shakeup with Patty Haidu uh, moved from the health file. This is kind of one of these cases where, you know, does this say that 
the Prime Minister did not have confidence in her dealing with the COVID-19 crisis. Tell us about this shakeup and who's uh, filling that uh, role at this point. Yeah, you know, this is a really interesting one. Again, um, Patty Heidi, as you mentioned there, she she has uh, taken some criticism, again, over the course of the pandemic for her handling of a lot of different aspects of this file. There's been a lot of questions about whether the moves and the decisions that she's taken have been the right ones. Jean-Yves Duclos, the, uh, the new Minister of Health who's coming in here, has a reputation. Again, he kind of keeps his head down. He's quiet. He has a reputation as a hard worker. Um, he is, if, if I recall, an economist by training, so very kind of detail-oriented. And and that's, that kind of approach seems to be one that the government might be looking to bring here into the health portfolio as, again, we're, we're moving into some of these really um, out, out of this, this kind of immediate crisis aspect of the pandemic in a lot of ways and into this more kind of nuanced conversation around around what does it mean to live with COVID-19, right? There's going to be a lot of gray area here, a lot of changing and kind of conflicting and difficult to decipher data that we all have to sort through. And so I imagine they're wanting to put kind of a calm, steady hand at the helm of that wheel. And, and Duclos seems to be the, the, the choice that they've made for that. And Amanda, important for us here in the West, particularly obviously in Alberta, but Randy Boissonneau getting called to Ottawa. This is a big deal for our province and to have some representation from the West. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I think that there there really was a lot of questions when there was no one from Alberta put around the last cabinet table, certainly because, as you mentioned there, you want to have that voice, that representation from all the regions of the country um, sitting up here in Ottawa making those decisions. And so Randy Boissonneau was one of, again, one of, one of the two faces here that we were looking at as um, almost certainties to go into cabinet. It would have been very, very unusual to have two MPs from Alberta and neither of them be put into cabinet, of course. And so he is someone who has served previously with the government. He was elected in uh, 2015 and so, again, lost his seat in 2019. But again, he, he comes into this tourism role at a time and we're seeing a lot of um, a lot of focus on this, really. Again, people are not traveling as much internationally as they used to. Drawing in international tourists is not as much of a priority, perhaps, as it once was. And so really this shift in perhaps towards more of a domestic tourism focus here could be a really interesting one to watch. Again, mm-hmm. I was born in Alberta, you know, lived there for many, many years, and it is a beautiful province. And I imagine there, too, having someone who is local to that job will be able to do a really good job of, of hopefully uh, voicing the province's interests there. You know, you've got the, the team in place. Now all eyes on November 22nd, the 44th Parliament will kick off. Uh, obviously, with a speech from the throne, what uh, are we speculating will be the first order of business from this, well, some new faces, some old faces uh, government? Yeah, so we're certainly watching for that today. Again, watching for um, uh, any any kind of news here out of uh, cabinet meetings and kind of what's going to happen from those. So certainly that would be kind of the, the first order of business for this new cabinet is to actually meet and decide what their first priorities are going to be. We know that Trudeau took roughly a month to put this cabinet together. There's now about a month until Parliament, the House of Commons, comes back at the end of November. And again, they're going to have to kind of get their ducks in a row here. There's a lot that they have to organize and really prioritize because, as we were talking about yesterday, they could be on a very limited time frame here. We don't know how long this government will survive. It could be, you know, 18 months. It could be four years. Who knows with minorities? But Again, safe to say that they will be really focused, it seems, on trying to get as much done as quickly as they possibly can, especially on some of these really big files like, again, the COVID-19 recovery, childcare, uh, military leadership and things like that. Hey, thanks for joining us once again, Amanda. Appreciate your time again this morning.
Always a pleasure. Thank you. Amanda Connolly, global news political reporter. And of course, the opposition parties always have something to say once, you know, any kind of announcement Mm -hmm. is made. Uh, Jagmeet Singh saying, you know, he hopes the cabinet gets to work right away. And Aaron O'Toole saying these are inexperienced and ideologically driven individuals who represent a real risk to our economic prosperity and national unity. You're never going to get happiness from the opposition parties. Let's face it, that's well, their job. You know, I know it's Halloween, well, Halloween, but I got True. spooked. I got the heebie-jeebies when Amanda said, you don't know how long this government will be around for. It could be four years, could be 18 months. Yeah, and I thought, let's hope not. Yeah, No more elections, Can please. You understand when you say 18, we're talking 2023. <laughs> are we electioned out or what? I think we are electioned out. I think we are. Yeah, let's get to the business of, of, of running government and, and you know, making life better for Canadians and mm-hmm. our whatever level of government and less putting those signs in the ground and campaigning. And try not to screw going. up. Well, with inflation at an 18-year high and interest rates low, a lot of Albertans planning on borrowing more to make ends meet and finance their holiday shopping this coming Christmas season. Joining us now to break down... Oh, I'm, am I in the right page here, Andy? Am I? Let me take a look here. Federal government? No, I'm sorry. I'm in the, the wrong. I'm ahead of myself, Andy. Can you grab this yeah, one? Yeah, absolutely, because yes. I have lost my place. One of them, I'm having a computer That's, meltdown. It happens. Uh, speaking of computers, yeah, the federal government rolling out the national vaccine and passport program. But there may be some security concerns around these QR codes. It's kind of shocking, seeing as this was supposed to be the, the fail-stop measure. And joining us to tackle the issues and to tell us about them is cybersecurity expert Ritesh Kotak. Good morning to you, Ritesh. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. So let's talk about this. You see these QR codes, and they seem to have come in fashion over the past several years, especially during the pandemic, as we can scan a a restaurant's menu, for example, and get the info. Uh, But how about our personal information on these QR codes? Uh, Is it secure? So when it comes to the actual QR codes themselves, and if we're talking about the federal vaccine uh, passport certificate, framework that was issued that's been that's been released the qr codes themselves are actually not the issue it is kind of where the qr codes take you and what is being done with the data so it's less of a cybersecurity concern and more of a privacy concern around what information is actually being embedded who has access to it and what are they actually doing with your data so it's really who's creating this qr code and the information that they're packing into it is that what you're saying so here's, so here's the example. So when we go to, let's say we go to a restaurant and there's a QR code on the, on, on the table to access the menu. So I was recently in a restaurant. I scanned the QR, I scanned the QR code just to see what, what ends up happening. And w- instead of taking me to the actual menu, it asked me to actually download the menu onto my phone, which in itself is problematic because you got to think, you know, where's these scans actually taking you? Mm. The second, the second big issue was, um, it asked um, for contact tracing when there was a QR code, and it asked me for my name. It asked me for my address, my date of birth, everything except like what my blood type was. And where's this information actually being stored? Who has access to it? And then with these QR codes that are being embedded um, within these vaccine certificates, when they actually get scanned by the by the business now, every province is different. But when they actually get scanned, what information is the business actually seeing and are they capturing it? The answer is no, they should not be capturing any data, but it doesn't stop anyone from knowing your name and screenshotting that information. So it's less of a security concern. It's more of a privacy concern. 
So should but should we be concerned of of the privacy? I mean, I think that we've talked about this many times on the program, Ritesh, in that if you're ever online, if you're on social media, people are going to know your name. That is correct. They're going to know your name. That is one element of it. But now they're also going to know your date of birth. They're also going to know where um, where you've been if the system is not administered properly. Now the issue with vaccine certificates and i you know i don't want to get into the politics of vaccine certificates but the thing is is that the federal government has come out with a national framework we were actually i was actually expecting when when the when the announcement was made months ago that this is coming i was actually expecting the federal government to come out with a unified uh vaccine certificate instead they've kind of created a framework and left it to the provinces we're going to have different systems 13 different systems across the country that are supposed to follow and have some sort of, um, you know, some sort of uh, uniform analogy to it. But I don't think that is that is what, that is going to actually help us. I think, in, in fact, it becomes a patch job and ends up hurting us, thus exposing or potentially exposing um, faults in our in our data in ways it's, we shouldn't be giving up our data. So we have a QR code for here in Alberta, right? And most people have downloaded it now. It's the only form that we're going to be able to use to prove our vaccination uh, pretty soon here. So what do we need to be concerned about? Is there anything we can do to protect ourselves with this? Yeah, so these these QR codes are dynamic QR codes. So everybody has their own. The, as I said, the QR codes are, are, are safe. They have security embedded into them. And I know there's a lot of talk around can can these QR cords be forged? In the, to me, that's irrelevant. And the reason it's irrelevant is just because you have an, another QR code, there's still friction that's built into the system. So a companion app essentially scanning the QR code to verify it and then asking individuals for ID. Here's where I recommend individuals not give their driver's license to verify ID. Instead, uh-huh. give a health card. And the reason for that is... And I'm in Ontario. In Ontario, our our home address is not on our health card. It is on our driver's license. So QR codes, vaccine passports, they're going to be implemented coast to coast to coast. But there are ways of of minimizing the risk to individuals. Very good point. Mm -hmm. I I think that's incredible because, yeah, the first thing I reach for is the driver's license. Me too. Time and Mm -hmm. time again. So. I guess you do what you can, offer up the minimum, be official, and, uh, you know, I guess always be vigilant. So uh, thank you for your time, Ritesh. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you. That is Ritesh Kotak, cybersecurity expert. That is a great reminder, isn't it? Well, and I'm glad Don't that he- use something with your address on it. If you're, if you're concerned about your information getting out there, use something with the least information on it. If you can avoid perhaps address and or birthday, and like he was saying, not security, but privacy. Right. In this world, I've, without saying I've given up, I've, <laughs> I've given up on, you know, trying to be as, 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 you know, with the exception of the social insurance number. Yeah. So and, much of uh, our information you know, the, is the out credit there. cards. But you have to be on top of it and maybe question. It might not be your job to question the person who's, t- you know, taking the info, but question, why exactly do you need this info? Mm-hmm. Even when I'm, for example, buying a, uh, something at the Gap for the kids and they say, we'd like, we'd like your email address. No, I don't want to be spammed. You know, that's what it Which is. Which you're going to be. But there's so many. And you have to think, that, uh, if you think you're getting a deal because you've offered up some personal information for that 10% off, 
or 20% off, yeah. whatever it might be, you're not because you're being you're a cog in the system and you're being sold. And then we know, too, that that happens. You get on that email list oh and then gosh. those get hacked, right? So your yeah. personal information gets leaked out in certain ways, even when you're least expecting it. And the company that you've given that info to might not actually be responsible Absolutely. for the leak. But and aside from the hack, yeah. I mean, they are going to be... Maybe they have algorithms that say, hey, if you like shopping at Old Navy, you might like X, Y, and Z. So then these people are on board. You didn't, well, you probably did in the fine print, you know, uh, sign off on that, but didn't realize it. So show your health card with your QR code because it just has your name on it, which also reminds me after my car was broken into yesterday and my wallet (laughs) stolen, I need to get a new health card. Oh, that it's doable. It takes some time. I think any registry can help you with that. Okay, thanks, Andy. We've seen how ransomware attacks can cripple businesses and disrupt systems and networks, but could our critical infrastructure systems also be vulnerable to cyber attacks? Joining us to explain uh, where we are vulnerable and what we can do is Jason Jaskolka, Assistant Professor of Systems and Computer Engineering with Carleton University. Good morning to you, Jason. Good morning. Am I saying uh, Jaskolka correctly? Yes, oh, yes, perfect. Win, I got to buy a lottery ticket. <laughs> let's let's talk about this because I think that we think cyber attacks, we think about these big businesses. But when we talk about infrastructure and a potential cyber attack, that would have quite the impact, wouldn't it? Yes, certainly. And these are the kinds of systems that we often take for granted. We don't really think about them, right? You flip your light switch on and off, you go into your refrigerator, it just kind of works. And that's the expectation we have. So when we talk about how it might affect everyday lives, what exactly are we talking about? Are we just talking about the power grid particularly? Uh, Not just the power grid. So critical infrastructure in Canada is actually split into 10 different sectors, uh, energy and utilities just being one of those. Um, But we're talking about food. We're talking about water and wastewater. Uh, We're talking about emergency services. So what happens if you can't reach your emergency services when you dial 911, for example? Is there one area within this or under the infrastructure umbrella that we might be most vulnerable? Uh, Most vulnerable? uh, Really, all of the critical infrastructure has the critical component to it. Um, But one of the things that we can often think about is the, the energy and utilities. And this is simply because many of our other infrastructures depend on it, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Think about healthcare. You run your hospital, you kind of need power to run your hospital. Mm. Okay, so what can be done to protect critical infrastructure? Is this, this is obviously at the federal level, so what needs to be done that maybe isn't being done at this point? Right, so there's, there's lots actually ongoing uh, in Canada. Uh, Canada has released a national strategy for protecting critical infrastructure. Um, and often some of these simplest things that can be done are the things that are often most effective. And these are, are the things that we tell everyone, right? Don't click on suspicious links in emails. Use strong passwords. Use multi-factor authentication. Because often when we see these kinds of ransomware attacks, for example, and we've seen a string of these over the last six months or yeah. so, uh, targeting various infrastructure sectors, um, it's because of these exact little things that go a long way um, that, that people still somehow aren't aware of. Um, so what we're really trying to do is raise that awareness, right? This isn't something that a, a person in the general population is going to be able to solve themselves. Um, but rather, this is something that has to come down from the top and go to the owners and operators of these infrastructures. 
So I'm wondering, you know, this is a, sounds like a plot of a Hollywood movie, yeah. you know, the whole grid taken down. Um, but do we have, uh, you know, besides thinking that this could be a worst case scenario, do we have examples of this happening to any other countries? Um, I mean, in the United States over the last six months, we've seen many examples, not targeting the energy grid per se, but they've been targeting financial institutions. Um, a notable one was the Colonial Pipeline back in May of 2021. Maybe we remember that. Um, but also some other uh, uh, industries that, again, maybe don't think about. Uh, there was a ransomware attack on JBS uh, Holdings, which is a meat producer in the United States. And that brings ripple effects through other partner countries. So we felt supply chain issues uh, here in Canada. The U.S. certainly felt it, and it was felt in Australia as well as a result of those attacks. So is this really sort of a, a newer type issue problem then due to the Internet and, and things, you know, systems and software being online? Before we had computers, was it an issue then? Uh, it wasn't quite the issue, right? Uh, a lot of this fragility is starting to come from the fact that many of the infrastructures we're talking about, the energy grid, for example, are decades old. And they're being updated now with new technologies, Internet-connected technologies that are providing a lot of nice services, advanced data analytics, these sorts of things. Um, but with that is coming a lot of complexity and a lot of exposure that now these systems that were fairly isolated to the people that were using them uh, and, and uh, operating them, of course, it's now uh, uh, seeing an exposure to a much wider, uh, what we call an attack surface, that is enabling these these uh, cyber actors to come in and wreak some havoc, so to speak. Mm. Very interesting, very eye-opening, and uh, to yeah. a certain extent, uh, frightening. Uh, thank you for your time, uh, Jason. We appreciate it. Thanks a lot. That is Professor Jason Jaskolka, Assistant Professor of Systems and Computer Engineering with Carleton University. Well, you may have heard this a little earlier, but my car was broken into yesterday. And boy, smash and grabs seem to be extremely common in Calgary these days. So we wanted to chat about things like when it's worthwhile going through insurance and maybe any other insurance-related information that we need to know in a situation like this. So let's check in with the expert, owner of Truman Insurance, Tammy Truman. Good morning, Tammy. Good morning, Sue. Thanks for joining us. (laughs) No yeah. problem. I, most times I would say it's a pleasure chatting with you. In this case, not so much because uh, I'm having to go through, you know, it's it's just, you know what it's like. It's it's frustrating it's for folks when something happens. nowhere. Yeah, yeah. You, truly. So, okay, let's talk. First of all, I was pleased to hear from my insurance company that it was a good thing I have my home and auto with the same company because otherwise it would be two separate claims with two separate deductibles. That is absolutely correct. So good news and maybe something that we need to think about. Yeah, for sure. There's, there's numerous reasons why you want to try to bundle the two together. Usually the discounts alone that you'll receive on your premiums, it, it's worthwhile. But when you have a claim and there's two things at once, it's very common then they'll only charge you one deductible. So that really helps. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, Tammy, because we, we see this online, you hear, well, you talk to family and friends and you know, people who have been through this, they all have their theories of when it's a good idea to go through insurance, when it's not, and you look at the deductible and people don't want their rates to go up. How do we know that we should actually make a claim? I think you have to take a look at what your deductible is. And if it's, let's say, a $1,000 deductible on your home insurance policy and you've only got, you know, $1,100 worth of items 
that were stolen. So we're talking, you know, $100 that you're going to get. Mm-hmm. You have to look at the discount that you're going to lose on your insurance mm-hmm. by putting in a claim if you're currently getting that claims-free discount. Uh, yeah, if, if you don't know what discount you're currently getting for being claims-free, you need to find that out. But it's usually, you know, around 15%. So you have to take a look. What's your total premium? If your premium increases by 15%, uh, you know, weigh the odds. Does our premium go up every single time we make any kind of a claim, no matter the amount, or how does that work? Uh, it depends on the product line. Okay. So uh, auto insurance, when you have a smash and grab, no, that's considered a comprehensive claim. Your premium isn't going to go up, not like a collision accident does. Um, but sadly, on home insurance, Yes, it's probably safe to say that anytime you put in a claim, there's going to be an increase. You know, it's interesting because, you know, on on social media, uh, you know, Sue posted this and the the response was insane. So this happens much more. If it just Mm -hmm. if it hasn't happened to you, uh, this is so super common in our city, isn't it? It, It's unbelievable. It's, It's quite out of control. And I'm not sure if it's People who have lost jobs and they're looking for any scrap of anything to make a buck on. But I I just beg the people of Calgary, do not leave one item. Sorry, Sue. Yeah. You can't leave anything in your vehicle that's visual. And and that's the problem is that they're walking by and they're peeking in your windows. And if they see a gym bag, they see sunglasses, they see... They might see pennies even in your little council, but they think if there's pennies, there might be more. Yeah, so no, that's, you're right, and that's, it's a great reminder. I was nearby, so I didn't really think twice. And, you know, my mistake, because obviously it's a crime of opportunity and they're going to take it. And somebody was telling us this morning, even, uh, you know, if you can see the peak of your um, iPhone charger cord, for example, they'll go in and grab anything that's an electronic item too. Absolutely, because they think that maybe the iPhone is is in the console. Right. If they see the cord in there. So it's a bit of a pain for sure. But if you don't have one thing visual in that vehicle, they won't be breaking in. How do we we shop around for the best coverage, the best plans then, Tammy? uh, (laughs) You know, auto insurance is pretty standard. Like most insurance policies are pretty standard. So it's a matter of finding someone you trust, uh, review what you currently have, what you need, someone who knows what they're doing. And uh, I'd like to think that, you know, you'll you'll get the best. I won't say you'll get the best price always because prices can vary, but you have to see what's important. Uh, You just had a claim, Sue. You called. You had great response and that, uh, you know, only one deductible, they're going to look after you. To me, that, that means something, that that's worth something. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, Tammy, it's interesting, though, because if you want to switch, and we just have a, a few seconds left here, if you want to switch to another company, what is that process? Do I get penalized, or how does that work? Um, if you're not switching at renewal, it is possible that you can um, they can cancel you and do what's called a short rate. So if you have uh, three months left on your policy, you might not get three-twelfths of your premium back. You might only get two and a half. So if you are going to switch, it's best to do it when you receive your renewals, when they get them in the mail, they're up for renewal. They usually come 30 days in advance. Hey, now's the time. Maybe I should uh, 
give someone a call that I'd like to see if I can do business with. And maybe that's Tammy Truman. How do people get in touch with you best and check that out? Uh, well, if they want to call the office, that'd be fantastic at 403-221-7257. Okay, perfect. Tammy Truman, Truman Insurance, thank you very much for the tips and reminders. Appreciate it. Thanks. Have a great day. Have a great day. That's Tammy Truman, owner of Truman Insurance. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.